Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Bible Code. What DNA code is found in the book of Jeremiah, specifically the 23rd chapter? For a copy of the transcripts, please go to www.dnainthebible.com. Did you know that the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah is a reproof against false teachers? We have been keeping track of just how many connections there are to the number 23 and 46 for human DNA and the Bible. And why are we doing this? Because I believe we serve that detailed of a God. For the past couple of years, I have had it on my heart to keep track of what I saw between the connection of numbers for human DNA and the Word of God. The Word says it is the incorruptible seed we are born again by, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. How accurate and detailed is that statement? I will remind you of some past studies we have looked at as a refresher. The Good Shepherd, found in the 23rd chapter of Psalms. The Feast of the Lord, found in the 23rd chapter of Leviticus. And Jesus compares his body to the temple that took 46 years to build. And finally, how bread is found for the numbers 23 and 46. And who is the bread of life? Jesus Christ. Is all this just a coincidence? Before we jump into the false teachers and their rebuke found in chapter 23 of Jeremiah, I'd like to give you a brief summary of the book of Jeremiah. I found this at gotquestions.org. It reads, The book of Jeremiah is primarily a message of judgment on Judah for rampant idolatry. After the death of King Josiah, the last righteous king, the nation of Judah had almost completely abandoned God and his commandments. Jeremiah compares Judah to a prostitute. God had promised that he would judge idolatry most severely, and Jeremiah was warning Judah that God's judgment was at hand. God had delivered Judah from destruction on countless occasions, but his mercy was at its end. Jeremiah records King Nebuchadnezzar conquering Judah and making it subject to him. After further rebellion, God brought Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies back to destroy and desolate Judah and Jerusalem. Even in this most severe judgment, God promises the restoration of Judah back into the land God has given them. We will now look at the 23rd chapter in Jeremiah and learn that false teachers whom God did not send spoke out of the imaginations of their hearts and because of this led the people astray. The consequence of looking religious without the power of God. We will also learn that withholding God's word from people results in non-confessed sin. Let us look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, keeping in mind that the number 13 is for depravity and rebellion. Here we will see God pointing out two sins that the people were found committing in the book of Jeremiah. It reads, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Notice God compares himself to a fountain of living water, which indicates movement. A cistern is what disobedient followers are accused of making. Broken cisterns made by human hands are constructed to hold stagnant water that needs refilling. Compare this to a fountain, big difference. And a broken cistern would require constant maintenance, constant filling. What a visual, man-made religion full of works without room for advancement. 
as the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But the God we serve describes himself as such. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? I will read that to you once more. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? We serve a God who is close, a breath away. How amazing is that? But before we look at the warnings against the false prophets, I want to point out another verse in chapter 23. I would like to read to you Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6. But before I do, I want to point out the structure of the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah. At the beginning of this chapter, it talks about the good shepherd at the second advent. And you will find that in verses 3 through 8. What is interesting about that is God points out before reproving these false prophets, he gives testimony to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. It is interesting that in verse 3 through 8, speaking of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, there are five verses, and we have studied the number five. It's the number for grace, that even though he is sending judgment, he is a graceful God and he will bring a remnant back, and he reminds them of that in verse 8. It reads, But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. It's a promise of the goodness of the testimony of God. I will now read to you Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6. It reads, In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord, our righteousness. What is amazing is that title, the Lord, our righteousness, contains exactly 23 letters. Now we see in verses 9 through 40, God rebuking the false prophets. Could God have placed this rebuke in the 22nd or the 24th chapter? No, he placed it in the 23rd chapter, the same number for the promised seed. When we do not preach the word of God as God has given it, we rob people the opportunity to repent. If you think about it, it's pretty demonic. When you love someone, you speak the words in love. And love, as we have studied in Jesus Christ, is the word. Consider this coincidence between the word love and the number 23. Love is found in 23 chapters of Psalms, 23 verses in Song of Solomon, and 23 verses in the book of First John. Now hold on with me. I'd like to explain each book here love is found in for the number 23. The book of Psalms is the book of faith. The book of Song of Solomon is the book of love. And First John, the word known is used prevalently, making the theme of the book absolute knowledge of absolute truth. You put all of this together. In short, love is about faith with love speaking absolute truth. Wow. Isn't that what the Bible says to do in 2 Timothy 2 verse 25? In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth? See, our job is to speak the words of God in love. 
Love is not what we see that's being polluted to leave people in their sin, hoping that God will wink at what they're doing. No, if we love people enough, we will not be concerned with what it will cost us. God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son. It cost him his life. It cost him his son. What are we willing to give up if we love somebody enough to give them the truth? Broken cisterns versus the anointing of God and the Bible code. This is the next section that we will talk about. The false prophets of Jeremiah chapter 23 versus the anointing God placed on Jeremiah. Let's take a look and see how they differ. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 21 to 22 state, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. In the 21st verse, and we have studied the number 21 for exceeding sinfulness of sin. God did not send these prophets. How sinful is it to proclaim yourself a prophet or a teacher and then teach of your thoughts and imaginations, yet claim you represent God? Talk about identity theft. But in the 22nd verse, the number for light, God said that if he had sent them and they had spoken God's words, they should have turned from their evil ways and doings. God is light. He gives illumination to the situation to see truly in the lantern style what is going on so you can turn and repent. Remember that the book of Revelation contains 22 chapters. I believe that to be by design because if you think about it, what is the book of Revelation about? Who is the false Messiah, the Antichrist, and who is the real Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is going to come back and judge and rule and reign a thousand years. God wanted his people to turn from their sins, but the false teacher's actions in the 23rd chapter show the result of not speaking the word of God. Consider how God anointed Jeremiah before sending him out to speak to the people. We will now look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. It reads, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. couple things that are interesting about these two verses I just read. God uses 46 words speaking about Jeremiah. There are four words, formed, new, sanctified, ordained. You will find these four words between the letter I and the, almost like they're synonyms all going together. Again, they're formed, new, sanctified, ordained. What is interesting is, is that all four are found in the book of Isaiah in 23 verses. Now, why is that interesting? The book of Isaiah happens to be the 23rd book. And in this book, we learn of the coming Messiah, and what he will endure. But there's more. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. It reads, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Jeremiah just spoke in verse 6 that he was a child, that he could not speak. 
Who touched his mouth? God. And God touched his mouth with his hand. His hand happens to be found in 23 chapters of the New Testament. What a difference between the false prophets of chapter 23 and God's preparation of Jeremiah. Again, he formed him, he knew him, sanctified him, and ordained him. He used 46 words in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 6, and those four words were found in 23 verses of Isaiah, which happens to be the 23rd book, speaking of the coming Messiah and what he would suffer for the world. He touches Jeremiah's mouth with his hand, and his hand is found in 23 chapters of the New Testament. One is based on feelings and vain imaginations. That's what we see with the false prophets. The other is the direct words of God. Do you know that the King James Bible is the preserved word of God? We will look at that later, and I will show you the difference between vain words and the words of a king. But as we just saw in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah said, I cannot speak for I am a child. Well, are you a babe or are you a full grown individual in the eyes of God? Let us take a look at Jeremiah chapter three, verse 14 to 15. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you and I will take you one of a city and two of a family and I will bring you to Zion and I will give you pastors according to my heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding are found again in 23 verses of the book of Isaiah, the 23rd book in the Bible, the book that we see the coming Messiah and the suffering he would endure. If you're interested in reading about that, it's in chapter 53. But there are a couple verses, four specifically, that I'd like to read to you, speaking as to whether or not you are a babe. Keep in mind that knowledge and understanding come from the Lord. It is not something that we can fabricate with broken cisterns. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 to 14 read, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Did you notice milk is for those unskilled in the word of righteousness? If you do not know the word according to God, you are a babe. You might be saved, but you are not effective for the kingdom of God. And did you also pick up in verse 14, have their senses exercised? Exercise is not fun, but it's through repetition that we get stronger. Through the repetition of being in God's word, you will know good and evil. You will know the purpose of your life. You will know what God wants you to be doing and what he does not want you doing. Let's take a look in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 to 10. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Now here it is in verse 10. This is how you learn. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. 
Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness wherein they lie in wait to deceive. Romans 16, verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. How many people, because they go to a beautiful church and hear beautiful sermons with the pretty lights and everything looks so appealing and just glorifies our senses that we put our weapons down and believe every single word that the pastor is saying instead of being Bereans and judging what they're saying in the light of the word. Consider this. God told Jeremiah he was not a babe. And why? Because he would have the words of God. If you do not know the word and meditate on it, you are a babe in the eyes of the Lord. Do not think experience trumps understanding the Bible. I will now leave you with this thought. How to identify the words of a king versus water from a broken cistern. Consider this. Either God is the only source of knowledge and wisdom, or he's not. Did we not read back in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, that he would give pastors to his people according to his heart, which would feed them with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding only come from God. We also looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, about if God preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You see, it's not our responsibility if somebody believes what we have to say. It's our responsibility to say it and give somebody the chance to believe what we say. They may reject us and our word, but we haven't let God down. We let God down and we let ourselves down when we're too afraid of being thrown out of the group or what would happen if we're thrown out of a church for in love pointing out flaws and sins that could hurt individuals or the church at hand. Consider this. Can you get truth from a broken cistern? If truth is found, say, in the Greek and Hebrew studies, which have been tampered with by the slight of man's hand, then does that steal from the word of God? As I just said, Truth and knowledge and understanding, the Bible says, comes from him. He imparts wisdom. If I can find truth apart from God, I have bitten the apple of the tree of knowledge, have I not? The Bible is no ordinary book. It is either all true or it's not. And if it's not true, even in one part, then I do not need to believe it. Notice in Psalms chapter 12 how many times the word has been purified. Seven Seven is the number for divine completeness and spiritual perfection. It reads, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them. Speaking of God's word, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now let's read from a broken cistern. This same verse found in the NIV. Notice they're not even speaking of the same thing we just read in the words of a king from the King James. It reads, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. Wait a minute here. 
are we not even talking about the word? Nope, the NIV is not. There is no promise here in Psalms 12 that God has purified his word and preserved from this generation forever. You are left with this question of where is God's perfect word? No wonder people are going to the Greek and Hebrew because they don't have the promise that God preserved his word. Let us take a look at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and unabradeth not, and it shall be given him. I read this to remind you again, where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. You cannot take God out of the picture. He is the only source of truth. Let us take a look now at 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. I will read to you from the King James, the words of a king. Then I will read to you how the NIV says it. You tell me if this says the same thing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 in the King James tells you that the Holy Spirit who lives in you, which is part of the Godhead, it is truth, and it is no lie, and it teaches you all things. What is also interesting, and just in case you don't know this, but the NIV takes out the Godhead. You will find the Godhead in the King James Bible in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. You will not find that in the NIV Bible. Why on earth would they take that out? What happens that you don't have that? Is is that the word, you can find that Jesus Christ is the word. That means he is God in flesh. And the Holy Spirit that he gives to you is part of the Godhead. And that Godhead that lives in you teaches you truth. And there is no lie. But now let's take a look at the broken cistern of the NIV and how it reads 1 John Chapter 2, verse 27, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it taught you, remain in him. Where is that the anointing we have that teaches us all things is truth and is no lie? That's gone. They took it out of that verse. So again, where's truth? It strips it. I would like to leave you with what Ruckman says in his Bible. He is pointing out some interesting things about the Septuagint. And a lot of people run to the Greek and Hebrew. And I put this in here because again, these men that are giving you this Greek and Hebrew studies are not who you think they are. These are broken cisterns. Consider what Ruckman says. The book of Jeremiah is paraphrased many times in the corrupt Septuagint, which also makes many additions to all Hebrew texts and omits, that is, deletes, 2,700 words from the Hebrew text. 
Think about this. If you're a Christian who thinks that going to the Greek and Hebrew makes you understand the Bible better, be warned that the men behind these books are not who you think they are. You will see men who are thrown out of churches for heresy, pedophilia, membership with the revision committees of modern versions, the occult, and much more. If you would like to understand the hard-cold facts of Strong's Concordance, Lexicons, and the Greek and Hebrew study dangers, I recommend, highly recommend, the book called Hazardous Materials, Greek and Hebrew Study Dangers, and there is a link in the website to buy this book. I have also placed on the website a chart that shows you the traditional text line coming from Antioch that started with the apostles and the corrupt Alexandrian text line that came from Egypt, Alexandria. Where does God place Alexandria in Egypt? What did Pharaoh represent it? He represented Antichrist, right? Why on earth would you want to read a Bible that comes from Egypt when God has specifically said in his word and cautioned that Egypt is the world and the leader of that is Antichrist? Antioch is where the Christians were first called Christians. And you will see on this chart how they took the text of the traditional text that came to be known as the King James Bible, and they altered that text. And who was part of doing that alteration? Clement and Origen. These men were not Christians. This is where you get a lot of the Catholic doctrine, purgatory, child baptism. They did not believe that God was Jesus Christ. And they altered the text. And you will see all the different lines of how it became known as the modern versions today. And that when you use the Greek and Hebrew study Bibles, the words that they are describing to you come from that perverted line. You are reading from broken cisterns. And the Bible shows you clearly it's going to lead to judgment. Why do you think that the Laodicean period that we're in right now is so ineffective? It's because they are playing battle with rubber swords. Why would we go to our enemy for bombs and utility that we need? It's foolishness. So I hope I've given you a lot of thought. Again, we see false prophets associated with the number 23 in the book of Jeremiah. And they led the people astray because they didn't preach about the promised seed. They didn't preach what God said. They gave them a faulty religion. And broken cisterns can never hold water. You will work yourself to death and never get anywhere. So please join me next time as we look at another Bible number in the Bible Code.